Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Everyone settle down. Welcome. It's time to honor legends. My name is Matt Rogers, and this is the HBO Max Movie Club, where we discuss iconic films. Okay, so let's just think about that. Now, imagine you are a performer that's been in not just one, not just two, not just three, not just four, not just five, but a series, a litany of iconic films. If you look over the title of these films, there's often one name. This is how you know that there is a movie star afoot. The woman... The myth, the legend that we are honoring today on HBO Max Movie Club is the one, the only, Sandra Bullock. You know the name. You've seen it pop up over the title of many an iconic, great, memorable film. And today we're going to be talking about one that I think is going to forever be identifiable with her unique star quality and her just incredible comedic ability, and that's Miss Congeniality. But first... Let's get a little bit of a bibliography on Sandy B. Sandra Bullock was born July 26, 1964. Yeah, baby, we got a Leo on our hands, a real performer, in Arlington, Virginia. Her parents were Helga Mathilde, an opera singer and voice teacher from Germany, and her father, okay, John Wilson Bullock, he was an army man, an army employee and part-time voice coach from Alabama. So we have parents here who are very much into vocal stylings. I've never known Sandra Bullock to sing, but maybe that's because she wanted to just divert from the path of her parents. You know what I mean? She said, I see you guys as like doing your vocal gymnastics. I am going to be an iconic screen talent who never sings once in her life. They apparently approved and the rest is history. So her parents were married in Germany and they returned to Arlington. And that is where her father was working with the Army Material Command before becoming a contractor for the Pentagon. Okay, so Sandra's been seeing the world. So she was raised all over in Nuremberg, Germany, Vienna, Salzburg. I mean, like, she grew up speaking German, Bullock. Okay, get into it. And uh, eventually earned her BFA in drama in 1987 from East Carolina University. Her early career was, you know, spent pounding the pavement. She moved to New York City and took acting classes with Sanford Meisner, and she started booking TV and movies pretty quickly. Her breakthrough came in 1994 when she played the role of Annie Porter, a passenger eventually driving a bus that was rigged by a terrorist in the smash hit blockbuster Speed with Keanu Reeves. And if you want to hear more about that film, you can go all the way back to season one of this podcast and listen to the Keanu-a-thon. All right? Because I went deep on speed and all things Keanu with 
my guest from this episode of the podcast. I'm going to tell you all about him in a little second. After Speed, she was, you know, what we consider very bookable. She was in hit after hit. Those include While You Were Sleeping, Hope Floats, Practical Magic, A Time to Kill, Two Weeks Notice, Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous, a sequel to this film. So that's how you know it was a big old hit. The Academy Award-winning Crash, The Proposal, The Blind Side, which earned Sandra Bullock herself an Oscar win for Best Actress. The Heat, Gravity, another Oscar nomination for Best Actress for her there, Ocean's 8, and Bird Box. Sandra today owns the production company Fortis Films, which produces her star vehicles, including Hope Floats, This Film, Miss Congeniality, Two Weeks Notice, and Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous, the sequel I just mentioned. And, get this, she also produces this sitcom, George Lopez, or at least she did, from 2002 to 2007. A five-year run for a sitcom? Not bad. Way to go, producer Sandy. So, in terms of relationships you may know of, she dated Tate Donovan, Matthew McConaughey, and Ryan Gosling before marrying Jesse James, and, well, I'm not going to get much further into that, because I bet she wouldn't want me to. In 2015, she got into a relationship with Brian Randall, and is to this day. She's got two adopted children, Louis Bullock, who's 12, and Layla Bullock, who's 10. You may recognize Sandra Bullock for her iconic persona as an America's sweetheart. She also was a rom-com queen of the 90s and early aughts, alongside Julia Roberts and Meg Ryan. She was selected as People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People in 1996, 1999, and 2011, and was named its Woman of the Year in 2010, and the most beautiful woman in 2015. In 2010, Time included Sandra Bullock in its Time 100, which means she powerful. Let's talk a little bit about today's film, Miss Congeniality, which I've picked because I believe that it's the best mission statement for what Sandra is capable of. She's an incredible physical comedian. You love her the second you see her on screen, even if she's doing something that maybe a lesser actress would sort of step out there and do, and you'd be like, I don't like her. Sandra Bullock, you kind of just love the whole time. But Miss Congeniality is, I think, really Sandra at the height of her powers. This was directed by Donald Petrie, and it was released on December 14th, 2000. It was a huge box office hit. It grossed $212.8 million. Weirdly, it has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 41%, which makes me want to hunt down every reviewer of this era and be like, excuse me, what did you want different from this performance? Did you want a more winning star turn? Did you want a more iconic set piece after set piece after set piece? Did you want a funnier movie? Did you want more vibrant supporting performances? Because this is chock full of them. The cast, which of course is led by Sandra Bullock as Gracie Lou Freebush, or Gracie Hart, which is how she starts the film, includes Benjamin Bratt as Eric Matthews, Michael Caine as Victor Melling, Candace Bergen as Kathy Morningside, William Shatner as Stanfield, and Heather Burns as Cheryl Frazier. I don't see how you could improve on this cast, but, I mean... I guess some reviewers of this era would prefer we try. Here's a quick synopsis of Miss Congeniality. When a terrorist threatens to bomb the Miss United States pageant, the FBI rushes to find a female agent to go undercover as a contestant. Unfortunately, Gracie Hart is the only female FBI agent who can look the part despite her complete lack of refinement or femininity. She prides herself in being just one of the boys and is horrified at the idea of becoming a girly girl. When she does join the pageant, 
apartment to see what the hell is going on with this crime, she, let's just say, sees things a little differently by the end and maybe even makes connections that she never thought she'd ever make. Everyone, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Watching it for this episode, I was truly laughing out loud, and um, I think that you will too. If it's been a while, check out the movie, watch it, and then maybe jump back for my conversation, which I'm about to have with the talented comedian, actor, writer, all-around star and actress, Jill Kim Booster. One of my best friends. I know he stands Sandra. We have an amazing time talking about this film. You're going to love it. You're going to love Joel Kim. We all love Sandra. Let's get into it. It's Miss Congeniality, baby. It's JKB, and it's me, Matt Rogers, on the HBO Max Movie Club. Hey! Well, he's one in a million, once in a lifetime. Beauty and grace, tough to accomplish both. Joel Kim Booster, thank you for joining us for another appearance on the HBO Max Movie Club. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for having me back for a movie I actually care about. Because (laughs) I got to tell you, the last time you had me on, when you told me we were doing Point Fucking Break, I was a little upset. I know. But you really made up for it this time. I wanted to do right by you. And also, if you remember our first episode, we also did touch on the film Speed, which starred a True. sort of then unknown Sandra Bullock. Star and I actually was given a strong note during our recording to stop talking about Sandra so much because it was becoming about Sandra. And that was a Keanu episode. So I said it would be only fitting to invite you back for the Sandra episode because I know you are a Stan. She is my one. She's your one. In terms of stars, uh, I think she gives everything Julia Roberts gives plus physical comedy. Oh, do you not think that Julia Roberts gives physical comedy? I don't think that she can pratfall like Sandra Bullock can pratfall. I just don't. I think it's a different kind of physical comedy, sure. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the funniest moments for me in this movie are watching Sandra fall down. I was just going to say the same thing. Every single time she falls down, there is a surprise with which there's like a, it's like an authentic fall. You know what I mean? It, it really feels like is. a spontaneous fall, which is tough to do. And especially we know from like understanding what it means to stage one of those falls and like mm-hmm. how much they go through, like the safety of the falling for it to seem spontaneous and also acted as if she doesn't know what's happening. Her face is always doing something fascinating during a pratfall. She pratfalls like Miss Piggy pratfalls. Like every single time, <laughs> it is like a Muppet falling on their face. The face, the physicality of it all, it is yeah. so good. Yeah. It's so, so funny. So when people fall, sometimes I think they just do sort of a general arms go up in the air. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm falling. And here's my two arms up in the air like I'm on a roller coaster to indicate falling. You'll notice that Sandra will try to grab for something yes. to stop herself falling. Like when she's falling in the scene where she's getting on the trolley. On where the they bus. sing the yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Yes. She's like grasping at the side of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's very good. It's very funny. She's a very funny lady. She's a funny lady, and she has the gravitas and the depths. Would you say, and I I will just throw Julia Roberts a bone, she did iconically um, execute physical comedy in Pretty Woman with the um, escargot. Sure, 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 sure. So that was one moment. But Julia Roberts does have more of a, it's more of like a, 
like an inherent elegance that you don't fuck with. Exactly. Whereas Sandra is scrappy and salt of the earth, which lends itself to this film, which obviously requires that to be sort of the beginning of, of the film. We see that she really is sort of a flop and living in an apartment that her kitchen is messy, but her living room is actually pristine. Did you notice that? Really immaculate and like very cool with the with the punching bag sort of off to the side. Yeah. Really shows where her priorities are. She's a watcher. Exactly. And I actually, when, when she sort of transitioned into her living room, I actually said to myself, I was like, I can see JKB actually having a sort of living situation like this. Oh, absolutely. I would 100%. You would thrive. Here's another difference between Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock is mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock there is sort of an air of masculinity yes. behind what Sandra Bullock gives that Julia Roberts is very feminine. Mm-hmm. Very, I think, like, no matter what. Like, I was going to say that, like, it's a working class thing. Like, Sandra can give working class better than Julia can give working class, even though Julia famously won mm-hmm. the Oscar for playing a working class character. I think I was wrong in that that assumption. I think, it, I think it's the masculinity of it. I think it is, like, she gives like tomboy in a way that Julia could never give tomboy. I think, you know what it is with Julia? Julia, like, she has an inherent authority, whereas, which is different from, like, this sort of, like, edge that Sandra has, which is that tomboy quality. Whereas, like, Julia Roberts is definitely capital T, capital B, the boss when she needs to be. But Sandra, it's, like, almost, like, at rest. She's one of the guys in a Mm -hmm. way that, like, really reads off the top of this movie. And I also have to compliment the really shit hairstyling in the beginning of this. Like, really, the hair was fried. She, as a performer, too, is not shy at all about looking gross on camera. Like, it's almost like she feels excited about it and thrives in that element. Yeah, that is exactly it. She is one of the guys in Julia is a girl's girl. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So would you say that Miss Congeniality, because this actually, it's not a Miss Congeniality episode, it's a Sandra Bullock episode, but I said, if I had to boil it down to one film that we're going to watch to really examine what it is that Sandra is so great at, I did pick Miss Congeniality, and I would put it to you. Do you think Miss Congeniality is the apex imperial phase mission statement for Sandra in terms of Sandra's powers? I think so. I think it is probably the marquee sort of movie that people think of when they think of Sandra Bullock. Like if you put a gun in the mouth and you said, name a Sandra Bullock movie, people would say, I think Miss Congeniality first. They're not saying our brand is crisis. I think if they said, this is a stick up, I'm putting a gun to your head. Tell me, I've never seen a Sandra Bullock movie. Tell me one I have to watch today that I love. I would say Miss Congeniality for sure. You're going to love it. She's charming. She's hot. She's heroic. She's also, you know, she messes up, but it's charming. She has great chemistry with Benjamin Bratt and the girls in the movie. And I will say that there are weaknesses to the movie that Sandra, like, sort of overcomes like her performance is timeless even as there are parts about the movie that do not stand up against the test of time certainly not yeah this is a true movie star vehicle in that you get the sense and she was a producer on it and that you get the sense that they knew that she was a very singular talent like very identifiable with like a really strong skill set for physical comedy she's also gorgeous but one of the guys in a way that makes me feel like this movie was either 
it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, it probably was a script before it was attached to her, but it feels like intrinsic in that energy, like maybe even developed for her. Yeah. I mean, I could see it being like starting as a log line and then yeah. going to Sandra. And then from there, mm-hmm. it was written. But I will say too, this is the other thing about Sandra versus Julia. Mm. I don't know why I've made the dichotomy Sandra, you're either Sandra or Julia. Well, you know, Julie, there is a Julia Roberts episode of this podcast that's going to directly speak to this one. So the heat is on. You know, we have a conflict on our hands, Julia v. Sandra. It's interesting. It's interesting. And it's funny that I love Sandra so much, even though this I find to be very true. Sandra is believable always as law enforcement Mm. in a way that I don't think Julia could pull off. Yeah. And do I love that? No. But is it true? Yes. You're an iconic critic of the law enforcement system. ACAB, except for Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Although she really was using the privileges of a cop in this movie. I really, oh I, I, she goodness. almost lost me when she cut that whole line of hardworking people <laughs> and to order some donuts for the crew at, at the FBI. And so when we get to the FBI and this, this, I wonder if they would even put this in a movie now because it's so not realistic. But the scene where they have the, the dress up like a uh, website and th- the fact that we all just accepted this as a part of the plot is so 90s oh it's like God. oh yeah we're all gonna see like every agent in in the fbi like with a little fun little like tropicana dress on well we didn't know we didn't know what we didn't know you know like i think it's just like i think back then the idea that that technology could exist yes felt very plausible yeah but we know too much about technology like it it didn't feel super futuristic back when i was watching it exactly but now the idea of it because of what we know about technology it feels like that kind of technology could never exist and you know what there was a precedent set for it mm-hmm. in clueless yes that technology existed in clueless as well and yeah. so i think that we are and I'm sure it existed in other media as well. And I bet we just all thought that that was something that super rich people yes. um, had access to, that we just, us poors, didn't have access to this technology. Yeah, this is the big, really, both these films you mentioned, Clueless and Miss Congeniality, which we're discussing, they really came out towards the, you know, early days of Al Gore's internet. Yep. And so we just thought, well, this is FBI technology and Beverly Hills technology, of course, like, either she's taken all these pictures or clearly every FBI agent as a part of the process of becoming FBI had to take nude photos so that we can use Miss Dress Up website. Yeah. Clearly, we are on board. And it's pretty horrific, um, that scene, um, sort of (laughs) making light of all of these dowdy women. One of the biggest problems, I think, with this movie is it's really hard to disguise how hot Sandra Bullock is. That's the thing. But they do a great job. That's what I'm commenting on. They do. But it is crazy that, like, I mean, I guess, like, she was hiding that body. She mm-hmm. was hiding that body. And she's always eating Ben and Jerry's. Like, you know, we, that, that really got me the joke about, hey, can I have a pint? And they get Ben and Jerry's. That I, I, I did a single laugh out loud. Oh, it's such classic comedy. Really Hard is. seat comedy. But I guess what does work so well about the movie is that, like, they do a good job of making it about her personality, too, mm-hmm. and her uncouthness. Yeah. She's inappropriate socially. Yes. Yeah, she's inappropriate socially. And so that makes her less hot. Mm-hmm. That makes her less hot. Yeah. She's just, she. she's unappealing. That's what it yes. is. And also, like, 
unappealing in the ecosystem of the movie and yet so appealing to us, the viewer, which is incredibly difficult to pull off because it it's really like is. you're with her every step of the way because you do love her, but you understand why everyone, when she says any single lick of a thing, is like, ugh. Repulsed by her. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. repulsed. What I loved about, the, oh, I never noticed this, <laughs> but um, in the scene where they're looking at everyone in like the, the gowns on that website that they use before they find out that Sandra Bullock is hot, if you watch... All the cops and the FBI people, FBI people, the officers that are... Their shoes? The shoes, yes. They stay the same the whole time, which I loved. And there is... It's all men doing this. And the one female agent is there. And, like, a dowdy woman will come up on the screen. And literally, this woman, who's the one FBI female agent that's with all these guys, is also in the back, like, oh, gross! <laughs> like, literally throwing popcorn at the screen. Like, that's a Disgusting. It's the woman with this sort of like shoulder length gray hair, right? <laughs> yes. yes. And like, she yeah. is clearly background because like never says a word. It's not allowed no. to speak on camera because they have character. to pay her. Um, <laughs> but she is in so many scenes. Yeah. She is a featured background. It was just so funny to me like that they were all given the direction like, okay, so everyone, this is the most 90s thing ever. Like in this scene, like women that are fucking fugly that are in the FBI are going to pop up. You see them in a bathing suit and you're all acting repulsed and disgusted. And all the dudes in the scene are probably like, got it, got it, got it. And then the one woman was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the guys, she's got to play the part. And speaking of the guys, I mean, Benjamin Bratt as leading man here, really working for me, really working for me. I know. And this was my big, the big question mark for me coming out of this movie was, why didn't Benjamin Bratt hit more? Television. I mean, maybe, but like, there have been plenty of people who have made the jump. Clooney. George Clooney. We, Clooney. We just said it in tandem. Most famous example of this, probably. And he made the jump. Why couldn't Benjamin Bratt? Because I find him charismatic. He's hot as He's hell. He's hot as absolute hell. Hot as absolute hell. And... Good. Good actor, I would say. He is really good. There's also some performances here that truly are underrated and make it look so much easier than probably it was on the page. I would like to shout out the actress Heather Burns, yes. who plays um, Miss Rhode Island, who gives a comedic tour de force in this film. She really does. I think an award-winning supporting performance that if, if, if given today would be... We'd see her at the Golden Globes. We'd see her at the Critics' Choice. Like, we'd see her all over in these comedy categories because it is one of my favorite all-time comedy performances of this era. And I will say, there's a line that I reference all the time mm -hmm. that most people do not get. I'm curious if it's the one that, that's my favorite. You say yours and then I'll say mine. I say it constantly and it makes me laugh every time. And it's... My parents don't like anything ostentatious. And, and they, they really, really don't, don't like fire. Like fire. Was, <laughs> that to me it's is so, so good. funny. It's it's so funny. And the way that she does it too, like, and the pickup of the second part, and they really they don't really like fire. Don't like, like, fire. Like, like, don't even get into there. <laughs> like, you get so much about who this person is. It tells a story. Yeah. And she's so excellent. And like the the way that that character could be so grating. Mm -hmm. And so annoying if played by someone who was less likable 
than Heather Burns. And less self-aware, because the thing about that is that is an expert reading of the text. That is, you get an audition and you find something different in probably every line. I would imagine that of all the auditions that they got, they got a lot of girls saying this stuff like same-ish, and then she came in with a take. Yeah. Because the thing about her too is like, she is sort of oddball looking in terms of the pageant of it all. You know, she has sort of an interesting haircut. She's like very daffy. And you kind of think like, oh yeah, this girl is a major underdog in this whole thing. But then by the end, you sort of get why she's winning. And another thing I love about this movie too is they set up that she has a flop talent. And then you watch it and like, because, you know, um, Sandra has encouraged her to baton throw, but they're on fire this time, speaking directly to that, and they really don't like fire of it all. And it's so winning. And then when she is like, you know, about to win the pageant at the end and then does, you actually, as the audience, buy it instead of being like, oh, the movie needed the two of them on the stage at the end. This girl was a flop and she would never win this pageant. You actually buy that she wins the pageant. And you buy it like it's not out of bounds, like the the my perfect date. Yes. Yes. Um, moment. Like you really have to buy that she's stupid, but it's not annoying either. Right. You know, like it really, she manages to play it so perfectly on the line of this person is sweet and this person is mentally deficient. <laughs> and like she really walks that line in a way that not a lot of actresses could, especially of that time. And yeah. she does it so well. She had a real moment in this era though. Cause like yes. she had a big part in who's got, you've got mail. She yes. was in two weeks notice. Like she was the friend, you know, she had a very Melanie Linsky esque moment yeah popping up and scoring in small roles yeah yes the best friend the quirky best friend like she was that girl for a while yeah she's like in the pantheon there like obviously i think the metal streep of rom-com best friends is probably judy greer i think we can all agree that absolutely but melanie linsky floats around up there like heather burns floats around up there like honestly in a different way it's more teen but gabrielle union was very much involved oh, in that in that yeah. niche it's interesting because like It really could have been nothing. And then another supporting performance I love in this, and I think because he is so inherently in the fabric of this type of, like, cheesy comedy, but fucking Shatner, man. Like, the scene where they're talking about how, like, Candace Bergen goes, well, I'd rather just cancel the pageant rather than have one of these girls blow up. And Shatner goes, especially without their consent. Yes. Yes. It's so good. And he plays it so well. And like, yes, very, very funny. I wish we'd see Shatner in more, honestly, Mm -hmm. like in roles like that. I don't need to see um, shit. My dad says Shatner. I don't need to see him in a leading performance, but throw him in to these little bit parts because he was so good in it. He really was. I would say most of the supporting cast is really, really great. Like, there's not a weak girl no. in our main cast of, of women. They do so much with so little. You know who each of these girls are. They do such a good job of differentiating each other, themselves from each other. They also do such a good job of making um, the relationship seem clear and believable. Yes. And so, like... I love uh, New York. Yes. I love Lesbian New York. She's so good. Lesbian New York was canon. There's a really great moment with California where she's about to go on and sing and she's like backstage and then she... (laughs) She rolls her shoulders back. Yes. It's so funny. It's It's so so good. Texas is great. Yes. Hawaii is great. Like, they're all so good. I will say another one of my favorite moments, speaking of Hawaii, 
is that the Aloha Aloha moment is very Yeah, that funny. was great. But one of my favorite comedy moments that made me howl last night when we were watching it was Jesus Christ, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to pray before I took a bite of my bagel and My schmear. bagel and schmear, yeah. Again, she's so good. It's such a guttural, good Jesus Christ. Like, it's so, <laughs> it's just so pitch perfect on tone for that moment. And then the save of, I forgot to pray, and just all the women, all the ensemble, like, being like, oh, well, of course. Like, now we understand. Of course, we get it. And um, the final member of the supporting cast that I will shout out as being superlative is... Candy Bergen. Yeah. I mean, Candy Bergen just came in and ripped this up. And the thing about Candy, too, is, again, a lesser actress might telegraph more early on that she's the villain because she is kind of so obvious. If you watch it again after watching it once, you're like, oh, really? It is her and it's there the whole time. And I bet a lesser actress would think, oh, I have to play my part really sweet. Or like, I have to do something that's not as like overtly bitchy because I'm the villain and I want to throw them off the scent. But no, Candace Bergen is making a very specific choice to play Kathy Morningside as this sort of domineering, like, I'm going to get my own way. Don't talk to me anywhere than other than I want to be spoken to. Like, I know what's best. This whole thing is annoying to me. Sort of like Uber, like Martha Stewart-esque, like, yep. type of capital B bitch. And I love that she never, like, airs from that. Like, the way that she pushes away Frank when he's testing, testing the mic at the, at the breakfast. Like, every bit of her performance is informed by, God, everyone is so much dumber than I am. I love it. And the thing is, is I wonder how how it would play to somebody who's never seen the movie now. Mm. Because I feel like almost like everyone watching it back then was like, oh, obviously she's the villain. Obviously she's the villain. And she does end up becoming the villain. But now I feel like it is almost a feint. Like, mm. And it was one of those things where it was like so obvious that it was like, obviously the movie's trying to trick you mm. into thinking it's her. Or it must be someone else because she is so nasty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and she does such a great job. Um, there's another supporting performance that you forgot to talk about that I also think is great. Go ahead. Michael Caine. Baby. Yeah, I, well, the thing is like Michael Caine, it's so... The thing about him too, and like he has such good chemistry with Sandra Bullock really because does. in the very first scene, um, she does a thing where she repeats something that he says back, but in her version of his accent. And I was just like, oh my God, delightful. Just the yeah. two of them. Because you probably know that he was like a booking. You know what I mean? Like oh, they did yeah. not think Michael Caine was rolling through to play this like old top. Yeah, I, I love, <laughs> there's a moment too at that same dinner where the waiter is there and he's like, yeah, I'll have another one. And then turns to her and his accent changes a little bit. And he goes, another pint for you. <laughs> and it's so... He's good. Like it's Honestly, so like, good. we should be like, now why wasn't this Sir Ian McKellen an actual fag? But no. I say let Michael Caine... I say let actors act. <laughs> there are a couple people I give passes to and Michael Caine does it well enough that I give him a pass. Just every line, there's not anything thrown away. Like when he's stomping over, this woman has no talent. Oh my God. <laughs> One of my other favorite lines comes right after that when he's like, when she's like, uh, there's something I can do. I haven't done it since high school, but it's just like riding a bike. And he turns to her and goes, you are, you are not, not having, having sex, sex on, on that stage. stage. <laughs> I haven't done it since college, but it's like riding a yeah. bike. <laughs> it's so funny. Do you have a favorite set piece or scene that we have not mentioned? One of my favorites is, and I think if I had to choose one, it would be 
sort of the climax when she's going ape shit on them to get the crown. Yes. Oh, it's amazing. And no one knows what's going on. And like, they're all trying to help. And then there's a shot of, of Heather Burns just sobbing, <laughs> sobbing. At, <laughs> at one point that gets me every single time. I just love the bedlam of it. I love, you know, the chaos. It's so funny to me. What a well-built film too to like literally build to the climax that we all like inherently really do want like of course you want this is my problem with and i think drop dead gorgeous is one of the best movies ever but like the way it ends is like they get to the big pageant and then you don't see it because the company's gone under like mount rose cosmetics has gone under and i really don't love it when like they set up a big set piece and then we don't get to see it like i understand sometimes they earn it with twists that take us other places but like You sit down to watch Miss Congeniality. You find out what it is. You want to see who's going to win. You want everything to coalesce at that moment. And it really does. Especially over that stupid, stupid theme song for the pageant. She's beauty and she's grace. She's Miss United States. (laughs) It's amazing. We got to talk about the soundtrack. We have to talk about the soundtrack. Because it's banger upon banger upon banger. It really is. Salt and Pepper. We've mm-hmm. got Mustang Sally. Oh, yeah. I own the soundtrack to this movie, and I would listen to it over and over again. You're one in a million once in a lifetime. It's good as a ballad, which it originally was, and as an up-tempo bop that you can do choreo to in this film. I have to say... It kicks it Really off. impressed with Sandy learning that choreography. As you and I both know, who had just had to shoot a project where we had to learn choreography, it is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I really related to her when, in that first montage when she's learning it and learning it poorly, <laughs> and then was so proud of her at the end for learning it and learning it well. Yeah, that acting of not getting the choreo was great. And I wonder if yeah. they even had to act at all. Like, yeah. They probably just threw her in and was like, okay, we're just going to film you learning this and that's probably going to be good for the scene. We've come to a segment in the podcast um, called, But How Is It a Queer Narrative? Now, uh, fans of this podcast will remember this iconic segment as being a moment in the pod where I, over a techno beat, list ways in which this film offers queer content and queer narrative for the young queer audiences who need to be fed. And here we go. Pageantry. Makeovers. Heather Burns. Making choices. Choreo. Batons. But they're on fire. Gliding, not walking, a club scene. This woman is armed, and this woman is fabulous. One of this film's EPs is named Ginger Sledge. Masculinity versus femininity, and femininity wins. Candy Bergen, villain. Benjamin Bratt, torso. Benjamin Bratt in a beautiful gown. Benjamin Bratt drinks iced coffee. Singing the word groin. A beautiful song when you rub on a glass. Michael Caine. As an old top. The bomb is in the crown. Freeing the bush. Free bush. The woman from New York is the lesbian. Queer people. We really do want world peace. Well, you forgot one. There's a glaring omission. Well, I was just going to ask you, what did I miss? So offer me your thoughts. One of the most iconic queer characters in the movie is, of course, the A.D., (laughs) I want to say the AD. The AD? It, during oh, the oh, ceremony. You got a problem during with that? This, got a problem with that? So Loved. good. In fact, I actually really love their asides. Every time they cut away to those characters, when, when the guy is just like, she's kicking the shit, the crap out of him. It's so, like, everything they say is actually quite good and funny. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate it. 
This movie actually does have something to say about feminism, though, because it comes in being like, oh, well, well, these these fucking bimbos. And then by the end, you understand that feminism really is a big tent, huh, Joel? Yeah, no, I think that like, especially at the time in 2000, mm. I think that the narrative about beauty pageants had reached this apex moment of like, they're anti-feminist, they're lame, they are all about objectifying women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then this movie comes in and I think at now watching it now, it doesn't feel that subversive that mm. she comes around to it. But at the time, I bet it was. I bet it was like an actual big, like kind of surprising turn. And I bet it was one of those things that like beauty queens would go in and watch it and be like, and then they're vindicated at the end. They don't have to harumph so hard. Um, because she cries and she's Miss Congeniality. <laughs> because she cries. She really does. She, she really does. I really do want world peace. Ugh, what a great winning performance. Listen, wrapping up the Sandra Bullockathon, outside of this film, what's your top three, Sandra? You know, winter, spring, summer, and fall of Sandra. What is it? If Miss Congeniality is giving summer. Well, I'm going to have to put the heat up there. Incredible. One of my all-time favorites. The Heat's great. Giving a similar sort of performance to what we just saw in Miss Congeniality. Again, bringing in some of that masculinity. But then you get her and Melissa, and she's challenged in a different way, and it's just, they're matching each other beat for beat. Beyond that, I guess I will have to say... You know, it's sort of a it's a toss up for me between two weeks notice and the proposal. And I'm going to I'm going to lean proposal again. Another mask performance from Sandy mm -hmm. and say what you will. I think it's kind of cliche to to say this now, but Ryan Reynolds is a winning performer. Like, oh, Ryan Reynolds is a star. Charismatic to the nth. And then you put the two of them together. Bingo. Naked. Yeah. Yes, please. That last scene with him coming back to like, you know, tell her he loves her or whatever. Like, it's Sandra doing movie star. The way that she receives the information that maybe she is going to actually be with this guy. The way that she just like watched that movie. And like at the end, you're like, when I say that Sandra is capital D, capital I doing it, you'll know what I mean. For me, I think. Well, I didn't give my third. I didn't give my third. Go, go, go. I'm a big apologist for this film. I'm going to say The Blind Side. You're an apologist for Blindside as a young religious child. As a young religious child who was <laughs> taken in by a nice white family. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm into the Blindside. I'm not into the wigs. I will mm. say, it's not even so much that I think it's a good movie, but I think if gun to my head, I had to give three movies that you needed to see to understand Sandy, I would say the third slot would have to be the Blindside or Gravity. Okay. You know, two of her Oscar nominated roles, two of her giving serious. I mean, the Blindside is a hall mark movie at mm -hmm. the end of the day that's yes. what it is that's what it's giving um sort of shocking that she won to this day yeah. but i think it's a fun performance it's a warm performance it's a heartwarming performance it's a movie star performance that's for sure yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i would say gravity i would say the proposal I would say The Heat, and I would say Miss Congeniality, those four. Yeah. And I would just also throw out there, and of the four you're watching, she didn't even win the Oscar for any of those. Nope. And then that guy with the gun is coming back, and he's going to be like, what's the name of the movie she won the Oscar for? And I'm going to be like, don't come back with the gun after you watch this, because you may not like it, but it's the blind side. And he's going to hopefully not come back and be like, I didn't like that very much. This Sandrathon episode could not have... There, there's just no better guest I could ever have had. Joel Kim Booster. I guarantee everyone that's listening to this podcast knows where to find you. But where can they find you? 
I hate Joel Kim on both the big social media platforms. You know. Um, I'm not on TikTok. I refuse. I won't do it. Unless maybe I will start doing it and make my TikTok all about Sandra Bullock. That would be really good, and I bet it would get her attention. Pretty big niche market for Sandra Bullock content right now. Sandra, we love you, but I love you, Joel Kim Boosterl, even more. I really do. Wow. It's true. I don't even give the sort of masculine energy that Sandra does. Well, I don't know. I think you're capable of it. No, I give boy, she gives man, you know? Period. And with that, we wrap up. (laughs) Thank you, Joel Kim. (laughs) Thank you, Matt. All right, that's it for this episode. Come back in two weeks for a special Halloween episode on Little Shop of Horrors, where I have an amazing guest joining me. Seymour, why don't you run downstairs and bring up that strange and interesting new plan you've been working on? Be sure to send in your hot takes on this movie and all things Little Shop of Horrors to at HBO Max Movies on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed HBO Max Movie Club, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. Thanks for joining the HBO Max Movie Club. The movies we talked about today are currently available on HBO Max. Check the show notes for exact streaming dates. HBO Max Movie Club is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Matt Rogers. Our executive producer is Matt Stillo. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser. And today's episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. Thanks, everybody. 